I am Owen McGee. This is Understanding Money. You're very welcome back or you're very welcome for the first time. This episode is all about our relationship with money. This is an area that fascinates me. I love the observations. I love the trends. I love the research. I love learning about why people do the things they do with their money. And a perfect example of that would be, how do you have two people who are a similar age, who grow up in the same household, but have a completely different relationship with money? One of them's a spender and one of them's a saver. But also, what about the area of our emotional attachment to money? And that emotional attachment can be positive and it can be negative. It can can really bump you up. It can mean that you actually go out and you save really hard. You become emotionally attached to your money and you're very disciplined about not dipping into it because you're trying to reach a goal and it gets you there because of that emotional attachment. But that emotional attachment could also be damaging too because all of a sudden you've spent years building up the savings. You have the savings and now you're so emotionally attached to it, you don't want to spend any of it. Why does all this happen? What's it got to do with I think a huge amount of it has got to do with your childhood. Some of it is learned behaviour in your adult life, but a huge amount of it's got to do with your childhood. And what I would say is, is as we go through today's episode, whether you have kids or you don't have kids, if you have kids, it's really easy for you to think about it. This is the way I would teach my child, or this is the way I would talk to my child about this. If you don't have kids, or you don't like your kids, and just think about your own inner child. Think about yourself. We all have an inner child inside us that kind of misbehaves from time to time or doesn't do what the rest of you wants to do, right? So I'm not alienating people who don't have kids. What I want to do is I want you to think about explaining it to a child, your child, inner child, or whatever else. I have a strong belief that if you could teach something to a six-year-old in a way that they understood it, that means you fully understand it. But also, if you ask your inner child a question and said, what way would you react to that? you can get a lot of learning from that. Money is emotional. That's what it is. It's tied up because when we don't have it, it can bring us down. When we have a lot of it, funny enough, I've seen it, it can also bring us down. Sometimes people have so much money and they have nothing else in their life because they spent their life trying to create this money. There's huge emotional attachment involved in money throughout it and it can influence our decisions. But let's start with the very basics. Think about yourself as a child, or maybe think about your own children. What environment were you in or are they in today when it comes to money? You need to think about what's the relationship around money in the household. Do you talk about it all the time? Do you talk about it too much? Talking about it too much can have a negative impact. We all have a mate who's absolutely obsessed with money, and all they do is talk about money, and their their brain just keeps thinking about money. Next time you're talking to them, ask them. Now, subtly, ask them, what was money like in your house growing up? You'll probably find it's going to be one of two things. It's going to be that it was talked about all the time or was never talked about, never mentioned it. You can also look at it in terms of when you were growing up, the relationship and the environment around money. When you look at your partner, what are they like with money? Are they good with money? Do they blow it? Can they burn a hole in their pocket with it? When it comes to your partner, and I'm not talking about first date discussions here, I'm talking about when you're with your partner, ask them about their relationship with money or make your own assumption about what their relationship with money. But more importantly, ask them what their parents were like with money. We will end up 
either exactly the same or exactly opposite to our parents when it comes to money. If you grow up in a household where it's discussed all the time, you can you possibly could become obsessed or the opposite. And this is the problem. This is why his stuff is brilliant because it can never be wrong, right? We're going to bring Richard in in a while and he's going to give us the scientific. This is my observational stuff. But if it's not talked about at all, then it becomes a taboo. One of the biggest problems we have in this country is we don't talk about money ever. And it can become a taboo. So what's the right balance to be had when it comes to kids? Or how do we fix it if you were one or the other as a child? What I would say is that discussions with kids in particular need to be appropriate for their age. And they need to be relative. But most importantly, they need to be understanding. If you ever think about it, if you're going to buy a red car... And you're saying, right, I'm going to buy a red car. And all of a sudden you see loads of red cars on the road. It's the same when it comes to money. If you make a decision today, I'm going to get better with money. I really want to get on top of this. The world will start throwing opportunities at you to learn. You will start to see ways in which you can learn. And those opportunities are there for you, but they're also there for your kids. It's never too late. And what I'm talking about is, as you go to the ATM to take out money, when you're teaching the kids about, you don't just tell them that's a printer and it gives you all the money you want. You explain to them your piggy bank at home. That's how it works. This is mammy's or daddy's piggy banker. If you're talking to your inner child, this is my piggy bank. And what you're trying to do there is you're trying to use any opportunity it is just to, in a relative way, trying to make, bring them into the conversation about money. The gas bill comes in. You show them last month's gas bill and this month's gas bill, depending on what age they are, and just show them, do you know what, we're coming into winter now. It's a little bit more expensive. Why do you think that is? And have them starting to think about it. The world will throw opportunity at you to learn if you just look for it. We are surrounded by financial information. We are surrounded by financial data. And the biggest thing you can do for yourself is to try and look for opportunities to learn. This is no different than anything else in your life. If you decide you're looking after your fitness and you start eating right and you start exercising, you will look for opportunities to exercise. You look for opportunities to eat right. It's the same with your finances. Our relationship with money can make us or break us. So now it's time to start to take control of it. If you're not in control of it already, it's time to start. But let's get some of the real science behind it first. Let's talk to Richard. I'm joined by Richard Hogan, psychotherapist and author. Richard, before we go into what I want to talk to you about, tell me about your book. Ah, uh, yeah. Hi, Owen. Great to be on the podcast. Um, my book, Home is What the Start, is um, is a book all about the family, about the, the systems of the family and about how our families are messy. Uh, and all of us come out of these messy families and they create a lot of the paradigms by which we live our whole lives. And I work clinically and I've got a clinic myself here in town and I, I, I work with so many clients and I see them throughout their lives from teenagers right up, you know, to... to a lot later in life, living out paradigms that were created for them a long time ago. It's about unpacking all of that stuff. It's interesting because I came across, as I read Katrina Sullivan's book, I don't yeah. know if you've read it, Poor, yeah, yeah. and she referenced something in that where she said, and you can correct me because this is my layman's terms on it, basically she said, when times are difficult, you revert back to, type. to what your norm yeah, yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. And if your norm was chaos, you're going to revert back to chaos. And it's, it was really fascinating to me because if you think about it, in her example, what she was just about to go to for big exams and a week before, 
she basically went off and had a lot of drink and mm. whatever else and went reverted back to what she had grown default. up with. Default. Yeah, yeah. It's a really interesting concept. Absolutely. That's actually my book. And I, I know Katrina well. We did a book festival there together a couple of, a couple of weeks ago in Westport. She's fantastic. And mm. that's what my book is about. It's about how to overcome that default position, how to rewrite and rewire your brain because none of us come into the world thinking that we're not good enough. None of us come into the world thinking that we're not enough or, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not attractive, we're not funny, we're not nice. None of us come in with those concepts. We get taught those to the, for the family we come up in, the position of the family, eldest, youngest, middlest, only child, whatever it is. And then the systems like school and our peer groups, all of that stuff helps to form the story that we tell ourselves about who we are around seven, eight, nine. It's a crucial time zone mm. where we develop that story as well about money mm. and about you know finances and, and, and being extravagant and living well and all that stuff. All of that stuff starts early in our lives. And the book is about how to overcome that because we all come out of a mess. I came out of mess myself and my own story is in there. I grew up in a family where my father was an alcoholic and, you know, that stuff really disrupted my own development through life. And so I was trying to tell that story about what it was like to be me growing up and then how I overcame that stuff. So the book is kind of like my own story is like the theory and practice, mm. how to overcome negative ideas about yourself. So what you're saying to me is, is you're born... What's the? I'm just going to use the word. You're born with a clean slate. You don't malleable. Really, okay, you're born ready to to inhale the information that's around you. Okay, and this is a real nature nurture question, yeah. then, right? So you're born to inherit or to to inhale. Sorry, use yeah. the word the stuff that's gone on around you. What about a situation where you've got? You mentioned eldest, youngest, middlest, right? Mm. What about identical twins? I know there's still one of them going to be older than the other. <laughs> identical twins. How is it that they come out of the same environment and can end up different? Yeah, we don't process and we don't consume information across the species in completely the same way. We all, I've got three daughters myself and they've been generally, as much as you can, reared similar ways. Consistently, yeah. Consistently as well as we can, you know. But there's genetic codes in there. And then there's what interests them and what has taken their, you know, you can sit a child down and they can watch something take place in front of them. But the significance of that would be different for each one of them. And so as they're coming, it's just an incredible matrix and myriad of information that gets in for one child and not in for another child. And so we don't process that information across the species, you know, exactly the same. I remember as a kid, actually, it was a family and they, they lost their father. And he died of natural causes in the house, but he was quite young. I think I think it was cardiac. I was too young to yeah, remember. Shocking for the family. Yeah. But I remember the ambulance being outside. But I also remember that it, the the kids were of different ages, mm. like from teenagers to kind of ten, twelve to kind of seven, eight ish. And I remember watching them over the years. It seemed to have impacted them very, very differently. You know, it does. That's it. You see the significance, and then the meaning making of what happened there is going to be different for each child. And that's just the uniqueness of us, you know, that's the incredible uniqueness of our species that we're all, we process things so differently and what is meaning for one person has very little meaning for another person. Mm. And what is meaning for one person might become a paradigm by which you live the rest of your life mm. and for another person it was just an event that happened that has no meaning. But that's interesting because what you're saying then is, is you can rewrite the script. You can, absolutely. But you have to do that very consciously. If you start it's... doing it consciously because this is my, what my book is all about. We're all driven by these invisible forces mm. and we don't know them. We don't know what they are, our early attachments. Mm. Our early attachment is so important. Everything in that early life for you and for me was about getting proximity to our primary caregiver. Mm. If that was dysfunctional, avoidant or anxious, let's say, that's going to create a problem from us, a little fracture in our foundations as we go off into life mm. and how we experience and feel love, right? So all of us were reared, you know, and experienced love and, and give love 
in different ways because of the experience that we had coming through our lives. And so you can be the eldest child and you can have loads of responsibility put on you. You could be, particularly for women, the good daughter, the good mother, the good sister. By 47.2, you're probably at your most unhappy, research would show us, because those paradigms are just so overwhelmingly difficult and, and un- unsustainable. Unfair, yeah. unfair exactly. Yeah. If you're the youngest kid, you're generally considered to have it easy. The brothers, the sisters, you know, machete, the tick, you know, jungle ahead of you and you just waltzed through. I'm the youngest of all yeah, boys. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking about what my brothers say about me. You know, yeah. Just waltzed through there yeah. with your black quiff and off you went and everything works out for you. And of course, you're, you know, you feel like you, never, you were never taken seriously. And when you go back into your family, if you want to see an invisible force, in front of you, when you go back into your family at Christmas or whatever, no matter what age you go mm. in, it's like the event horizon of a black hole. You get sucked back into that dynamic that you had when you were five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's incredible. And when the <clears> event <throat> happens, could the same event, obviously it can affect different people in the family, in the household in a different way, mm. but could it affect completely different ways? So you've mentioned, so you've brought it into the room, you've mentioned your father was an yeah. alcoholic, right? Could that affect you in a certain way in terms of your relationship with alcohol? But could it affect, and given that this is about money, let's bring it back there, right? Could it affect your brother yeah, in yeah. financial? Because Absolutely. your brother witnessed that he maybe, and I'm casting aspersions yeah. here, that maybe the family went without because your dad was an alcoholic. Absolutely, Whereas, 100%. And has that got to do with age or has that got to do with personality? It's got to do with everything. It's got to do with your personality. It's got to do with some of the markers, genetic markers that are in there as well. I mean, nature, nurture, as you said, mm. it's all a play here. And then what you actually saw as meaningful to you as a child and what made sense to you and what you felt was a difficulty. Whereas, you know, for one child who came up in an alcoholic family, money might, holding on to money and, and being protective of money mightn't be a thing at all. Mm. In fact, it might, you might be a spent thrift, right? Yeah. You might be spending it a lot just because, as what you said about Katrina, that was your default. You saw money being spent all the time. Mm. That keeps you in that paradigm, living out that kind of like fluctuating relationship with money. And so you, you're staying with what's familiar. So again, it's always down to the person, the personality type, the big five personality types at, at play there, right? Tell me the five personality um, types. Agreeableness, openness, conscientiousness, neuroticism, and um, extroversion. And, and neuroticism, yeah. What's neuroticism? I'm <laughs> 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 just fascinated. Neuroticism <laughs> is when your personality is kind of pinned on external things. Uh, if you're an, what I'd always say to neurotic, a neurotic is don't get into it, like entrepreneur working a nice civil service job so you don't have to worry about your money fluctuating you know, so you're not overanalyzing things too much working a nice job nice and calm a neurotic person is prone to mood and prone to kind of like you know low mood swings and that kind of stuff and their their happiness is pinned on external stuff so it's always fluctuating so could a neuroticist be very inclined to spend heavily on stuff to try and get external reward yes absolutely okay. to get a little bit of a you know a reward center in the brain going to feel good about themselves yeah. so they'll spend when they feel low mm. and they'll overly spend they'll push themselves into poverty at times even Right, for sure. Is that a punishment thing? Well, it's a, it, it's it's chasing that, that, high. that spend of high, you know. Mm. Um, what, give us the other ones, because these are interesting. Open, I mean, oh. they're, they're really interesting now. Yeah. Uh, openness is where you're like, you know, interested in sh- experiencing the world. Okay, and travel. And yeah, traveling, learning. Experience. You're always open to new ideas. It's really good. It's a really good, nice trait to have. Extroversion is where you, I'm definitely an extrovert. I get energy from being around people. I mm. know introverts who actually find being around people exhausting. It's not that there's one right or wrong there, mm. but there's just one person might find it exhausting to be around people. Another person might find incredible energy from being around people. And when someone like that spends money on a concert as an extrovert, did they get it off the whole entire group as the whole in the thing, room? The whole experience is like energy filling. 
Mm. and sustaining. I heard a brilliant analysis um, analysis or whatever you want to call it where we have a certain amount of coins in the day. I'm sure you've heard this yeah. before. You've <laughs> certain amount of, and an introvert, every time they meet someone, spends a coin. Yeah. And an extrovert, every time they meet someone, gains a coin. Exactly. Well, that's and exactly you have a certain it. amount of coins in the yeah. day and yeah, I know yeah. it's connected to money, but it, it's a really interesting dynamic to me where I think it's not just you are an extrovert or you are an introvert. No, you can not, be an extrovert yeah. and introvert in different circumstances Absolutely, as well. Yeah. We used to think those, that's a very good point, Owen. We used to think, say, in psychology, that these five personality types, the big five we call them, were concrete things and that was it. That was your lot. Your parents mm. were extroverted. So you're extrovert. It's rubbish. Mm. I can be very extroverted and I can be introverted at times. Mm. I want to be on my own at times. And all that. So we can leverage your personality traits. Mm. You know, we can actually work on them. And, and, and if we want to be a little bit more extroverted, we can push ourselves to become a little bit more extroverted. Yeah. If we want to be a bit more conscientious, I can be really hyper conscientious at certain things. And then I can be not so conscientious. If I don't like the thing that I'm, mm. that's in front of me, I can just avoid it and push it away. That's not very conscientious. And what's, is the introvert likely to have more money in their bank account because they spend on books and the other person spends on concert tickets? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the introvert might be a little bit more conservative, maybe in some ways, generally. A bit more speaking, risk averse, Maybe possibly. a little bit more risk averse, possibly, yeah, for sure. An extrovert likes to be out there, you know, around people. Mm. So that, that's, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about spending money, it possibly mm. could be a way of like maybe, you know, being mm. a bit thrifty with your money, throwing your money around there yeah, for okay. sure. Yeah, it's interesting. How are you with money? Uh, not great. Are you not? No. Why is that? Um... I was thinking about that coming onto the podcast and my wife laughs at me because she's like, she's, you're terrible at money. She's good at money. Um, I like to spend money, okay. if I've been honest. Okay. I see it as a, I think my grandmother lived with us for 20 years and as I said, my father was an alcoholic and he was a, he, you know, he was a journalist for the Irish Times. There was a good job, a monster mm. correspondent for the Irish Times in the 80s and 90s and uh, could have had some decent money in the family but wasn't there for sure um, mm. and I noticed it myself as a kid mm. you know around other people who had parents who were kind of mm. wealthy and all that and I know I knew you know the way you so that's because you felt there wasn't money in the house or it was being said you know when you get it you want to spend it yeah. to keep it for yourself yeah I want to spend it okay. not even just for myself I love I have three daughters I love spending I love bringing them out and treating them and doing things like that with them so it sounds like the, the, the roles are switched here but <laughs> is that because you're spending money because you're worried it mightn't be there to spend it in the future no it's like it's kind of no it's not that it's kind of we didn't have it. I didn't have it as a child. Right. And um, I want to know what that's like, I suppose. If, I really, if I'm really deep and think about it, mm. I think I want to kind of, you know, I think Freud calls it the compulsion to repeat. He's, he, he's this idea that you go back in time and you might relive some stuff in your family dynamic to fix it or heal it. Mm. Or heal it. And I think maybe by having the money and spending it, I'm somehow fixing the situation that I had as a child. Mm. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's interesting. So yeah. it's not there anymore. My kids don't know that. Mm. And it's there, certainly not in their life. And it's not that I'm just lavishing them with money. <laughs> That's not the situation, but... Um, you don't want them to recognise a lack of money either. You, you, I don't want them to recognise, I don't want them to have any concepts of money just okay. yet at six and nine. No, the 12-year-old, by God, I'm talking to her about money. Okay. She should be living with Donald Trump or something because she, <laughs> she has a lot. Of, she goes through a lot. Of, well, she tries to go through a lot of money. Okay, um, yeah. So. And how do you find that? And look, you know what? Say you can kick me back here if you want to. Okay, Honest, because okay. because you've kind of opened a door for me, so I'm going yeah, through yeah. it. How do you find that in terms of your relationship with money, which as a child, and how that has impacted your relationship with money for your kids and what you want to teach your kids? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm trying to give them the value of money. Okay. I try to give them the value of money I t and I talk, especially, the, I don't want to talk to the six-year-old about the value of money. You know what I mean? I want them to be kids and not think about money so much. But I would say no to them a, a, about things for sure. Like no, that's what I write about in the, a lot, you know, and about mm. psychology. They have to hear no's. Mm. 
No, no doubt about it. So they're not like they're getting things all the time. I want the 12 year old to understand the value of money. So I'll get her to work right. to get the money. And so, you know, I won't be just handing it over to her. Mm. She will have to do things to get that money. Okay. Know? So then you're teaching her about reward. You're yeah. teaching her about the, the, money time, is, the time value of money as well, yeah. which I think is one of the most important things. When I go into transition year students and I'm teaching them or fifth and sixth years and I'm giving them a session to them, I try and get them to convert money into time. So if you've got 80 quid in your bank account and you're looking at a pair of shoes for 80 quid, mm. don't think of it about it as 80 quid. Think about it as eight How hours of your time. life. Yeah, you put and it and that, I think yeah. that works really well, particularly for that 12 to 18 year old. And I don't know God, why. I could, I could have done with that conversation before I bought shoes in Florence this summer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now to think about it, that's about four weeks. <laughs> do, you, do you think people? And we'll take. We'll take, you can talk about yourself if you want to, because we, you, the, the reason why I'm asking is because of your specific example. You said your wife is good with money, and yeah. you're not so. And yeah, she says yeah. you're crap or whatever yeah, word yeah, she yeah. used. She do you think two people are attracted to each other when they're opposites? Or I is think there any so. is there any psychology research that suggests yeah. that 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 two people, whether it's money related or somewhere else in life, that opposites attract? Just working clinically, I'm mean, kind of like, and just from my own experience in life and all that, and I think it's like that Plato's parable of the two spheres, and I think, I think we're attracted to the other person that might have something that we don't have. Oh well, and you'll often see, you know, a really outgoing person, and then maybe a quieter, more, you know, mm. reserved person. And you'd often think, what the hell do they see in each other? Mm-hmm. And myself, my wife might be a bit like that. You know, she might be a bit more reserved in some ways, and that. And I suppose I think that's it. That played the Plato's parable of the kind of the two half spheres that kind of complete the sphere in, in some ways. And I, I would see that clinically a lot, sitting down with couples. Mm. And I can see them trying to figure out how do they actually get into the relationship to begin with because they're so different. Mm. But it's that difference, I think, that we get drawn mm. to. When you think about your relationship with money and you think about your childhood, have you allowed yourself to just go, oh, I am crap with money? Or have you worked on it no, yourself? I've I've gotten better. Okay. I was way worse in my twenties when I had no money. <laughs> Were you? As in, would you go? <laughs> I'd buy stuff like I wouldn't. I'd be, you know, I'd buy clothes. It was always clothes. It was never mm. like alcohol or it was never like mm. always clothes or you know nice clothes. I was always interested in that. As, as, what do you think from, drives someone to do that? Why do you think someone <clears throat> is gets? I know. I know. We talk mm. about some of the, the different traits that people have, but that high that you get. Well, there is a high from it. There is. Yeah, yeah. there's no doubt about it. Yeah, and you. Yeah, is that because they're missing something else in their life, or is it just ah oh, no, this is just the way I do it? Yeah, well, I suppose this is. <laughs> we can read so much into everything yeah. you know what I mean but really what was it for me personally I liked clothes and I liked uh, having something you can look tangible at yeah well a little bit different as well that you know mm. you kind of like you'd like and give you a little kick about your clothes and all that kind of stuff and mm. Was there anything massively deep in there that was ruptured in my psychology? But how did you fix it? Fill it what? How did you? Well, you still look dapper. So <clears throat> thank you very right. much. Yeah. Oh, I'm still into fashion. I'm still into clothes. Yeah, I love clothes. I absolutely love it. You know for sure. And if I see something like it nice, I'll I'll buy it for, definitely. I suppose I've just gotten better at kind of like saying, what do I really need here? Mm. You know, do I need this? Um, and I was in Florence over the summer, and like, Florence, Jesus. Great clothes there. Uh, it's un- unbelievable, but also great prices. And did you ever suffer buyer's remorse after your, whether it's in your 20s or today? Marriage remorse. Marriage remorse. Oh, <laughs> that's a joke. That's okay. That's, um, you're saying that to a divorced yeah. man. Okay. <laughs> this is a safe space, right? No yeah. one's no nobody's listening. listening. Nobody's that's listening. Okay. Nobody's watching. That's okay. That's okay. Um, buyer's remorse, not really, no. No. I, I don't lack the courage of my conviction. I shall go forth. If I make a mistake, I'm going to stand over it. Full stop. I'm going to go full, full onto it, yeah. And I actually brought my daughter and I went into this 
master shoemaker that I've been looking at for a long time when I was in my 20s I was googling this guy called uh, Stefano Bremer just he's a, like Daniel Day-Lewis went working in his sh- shop of course to figure out how to make shoes just as you do oh uh, yeah of course yeah and I was thinking about myself as I get older I'd like to learn how to make shoes and all that so I went into the shop now they are ridiculously expensive shoes and I went in with my 12 year old daughter and I bought a pair of shoes hmm. and I could see her going you're what? you're, you're doing you're what doing dad? what? you know I could see her looking at me like that and I was like well this is this is a treat to myself for the book I put a year and a half of my life into that book. Mm. And so this is just a little bit of that just to say well done for writing that book. So I was putting a little, little bit of the value back onto it for her. But I could see her thinking, you can get nice things in life, but you have to work mm. to achieve those nice things. They don't yeah. just fall out of the sky for you. Are you really conscious about it with the kids in yeah. terms of trying to instill it into them? <clears throat> I am for sure. Yeah. That's really important though, isn't it? It is. But I, I just want to go back to my grandmother because I, uh, I am a spendthrift. I don't weigh up money and I will... By, you know, so when you say spendthrift, you mean you're, you're happy to spend I'm lavishly? I'm happy. I'm generous with money. Okay. And I, I wouldn't be thinking, Jesus, did you buy me a drink there, Owen? You know, mm. I'll get my one back now here. It's not the way my mind works. But I just remember as a, as a kid, my grandmother used to always say to me, don't ever marry a tight woman. <laughs> <laughs> she was born in 1912. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And she was like, I dated a tight fellow once. And there's, it's a, she used to always say, it's a sign into their soul. That was her phrase. It's a sign into someone's soul. And as a 10-year-old kid, I was thinking, tightness Whoa. is a sign to someone's soul. I better not be flipping tight here. <laughs> but I think it's a bit of openness as well. I yeah. don't, you know, I don't worry. I work hard. I've, I work mm. lo- a, lo- long a lot, long yeah. hours. And I work different jobs and doing lots of work. And, and so I have... Yeah, reasonably de- comfortable lifestyle it's, so. it's one of the things like reward is really important yeah. particularly when you're putting the work in and it's what you're trying to teach your 12 year old as well it's about reward because you did yeah. the job you got paid this and it's it's a really great value to yeah. instill from a financial perspective but it's also something that people get caught out on yeah, a lot like exactly. you, you get a couple and they're saving for deposit for a house and it's going to take them three years four years whatever it's going to take them mm. and one of the most important things is those little rewards along the way mm. that if you save consistently for six months you shouldn't kick the crap out of yourself no. for taking some money out to go away for a weekend exactly. together. And you need to provide you yourself with those little that, rewards. Because yeah. you won't enjoy the house in the end by the time you get to it. You yeah. know, every, life would have been so five yeah. years of dull. dull yeah, yeah. You know? and you need to live your life. Final question. Okay. If you could tell your 10-year-old self something now about money. Buy those shoes, man. Buy those <laughs> shoes. You're going to buy them um, one day. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. <clears throat> if I could talk to my 10-year-old self. I no, was, and what I want you to do is talk to your 10-year-old self with all the knowledge you have professionally yeah. and in life. Yeah. And I want you to tell your 10-year-old self something about money. Yeah, no, it's a really good... Uh, well, I know the first thing I'd say is don't buy that house in 2006. <laughs> Hang on a couple of years there now. <laughs> don't buy that house. Um, what I would say to myself is you. I didn't get an awful lot of lessons coming through as a kid. You know what I mean? Mm. People didn't sit down with me and give me... I, I worked all this stuff out myself. I've you know done PhDs. And, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work to mm. be here. <laughs> mm. Somewhat formed and somewhat reasonable thinking. I would, I would really talk to that kid because he didn't really believe himself too much you know he, okay. he struggled with a bit of dyslexia and all that and probably didn't think that you know he was intelligent and that so I, I would definitely have said to him you know if you want to bring something into your life you got to work in the interest of your future self mm. and don't always be just don't always be looking for self you know gratification in the instant in the immediate you have to delay that gratification at times to bring something really you know, into your life, rewarding into your life. I figured that out about 23, 24. But for a long time, I didn't know that you had to put hard work in to achieve something. I kind of expected that it might just land in your lap somehow or maybe it was never for me. I kind of believed that too. And so I just needed someone to say, you know, if you want to get that thing, you got to save. If you want to kind of be viable going forward in your 20s and your 30s and with your children, you got to, you know, 
work in that interest of that future self and put away stuff mm. and put away money because you know that those ideas of a rainy day and all that you don't think about that when you're a kid but I kind of needed that advice mm. for sure and I would really talk to them about how to achieve something okay so what I can I if I'm allowed yeah. summarize it what you're basically if we were to put it into a sentence delayed gratification is greater reward yeah much more sustaining happiness will come into your life when you do that. Yeah. I think we're living in the in the age of extreme uh, individualism and we're mm. told on social media all the time, if you want to be happy, do what you want. Mm. Like that is antithetical to happiness. Mm. Doing what you want in the, in the moment is actually the opposite of you achieving any sustainable happiness going forward. Mm. And you have to work in the interest of your future self um, to build towards something because we feel happiness um, we don't have to feel that emotion. We feel it because we're working towards something positive. And mm. that's often delaying something in the in the now. Mm. And that's a much more, you know, if you think about it, when have you, when do you ever really feel happy? Remember those leaving cert results where you did pretty well or your mm. college results? You worked hard and you got the result. Mm. That's probably the best happiness you feel going forward in your life, you know, mm. and you see your children growing up and you see them mm. coming into, you know, you put some really solid stuff and work mm. with them there. That's where you feel you're most happy, I think, in life, where you put something really, because wearing kids is so hard, yeah. you put something in there, really, you know, and you work hard at it. Mm. Um, it's not perfect. It's not a game of perfection or any of that. Mm. But you see the reward and you kind of go, that was it. That's what I was working for. Mm. That's kind of like, to me, the meaning of life. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it's some, you've summed it up very, very well. You are up for an Irish Book Award. Yes, I am. I'm very happy with that. And know? actually, maybe by the time this goes out, we'll know. Yeah, it's out, it's, uh, it's, it's out on Wednesday. It's, okay, it's so it's two days time. Two you'll days know, time. You'll know. Yeah. Okay, well, best of luck with that. Well, thank you very much. And before we stop recording, what I am going to say to you is, is will you come back on with us again when we I, need you? I would love to come back on. It's lovely here. So I want to thank you for inviting me on. It's great. Thanks, Richard. Cheers. Amanda, you're very welcome back. For anyone looking at us on YouTube, you did actually adhere to the prosperous uniform policy today. Yeah, You've yeah, come in, we, we both look the same. <laughs> this is this is coinciding thinking, isn't it? And that's what it is. This is how this yeah, happened. It's subconscious. Subconscious, that's the better word. You've got loads Spending of questions. Spending too much time together. That's it. You've got loads of questions today. Well, yes. you've got three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. First one, go for it. Uh, so the first one, um, I'm actually going to read out. The person just wasn't comfortable uh, sending a voice note. So this person's father passed away um, from cancer and they are currently supporting their mum with rent plus €500 Euro a month. However, the guilt of not doing enough is always there, which comes at a cost of not indulging themselves or when they do, they feel guilty. Are there any tips that you can suggest to overcome that? Okay. That's a tough one because... Your mother is now vulnerable. Yeah. There's obviously a financial need mm-hmm. there from your mother, uh, from that person's mother, and they're carrying the burden. I'd love to know if this person has siblings. There's no suggestion that the siblings there. There's no there? suggestion. I would be of the opinion that they're probably doing this alone. Okay. And doing it alone for a reason. Yeah. My fear on that though is, is that they're doing it alone because nobody else, they, they do have yeah. siblings and nobody else is talking about it, mm-hmm. right? So this is all going to, the solution to this lies in communication. First of all, the communication directly with the mother. Yeah. And satisfying themselves, ma'am, are you actually okay financially now? Mm-hmm. Is everything all right? Um, I'm paying your rent. I'm giving you 500 quid a month. Is it enough? And if it isn't enough, that person has a decision to make. Can they afford to give them more? Yeah. The answer to that might be, of course, I can, I, like, I'm, 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 I'm going without stuff at the moment out of guilt, not out of necessity. Yeah. Um, so I could go to 700 and I wouldn't be able, and I wouldn't go out for dinner once yeah, a month, yeah. right? That's not the solution either, because ultimately this thing could get wrapped up completely with resentment. 
mm-hmm. it's been done for good intention. It's been done for the right reasons. It's been done because your dad has died and you're looking after your mother and your mother looked after you for long enough and it's all the right reasons. But if this starts, this could go on for a very, very long time. We know nothing about the mother's age. It could yeah. go on for a very long time. So it needs to be at a level that you're comfortable with because you could build resentment towards I have my life on hold because this person needs to be looked after financially. If there's any other siblings here, mm-hmm. they, whether they can afford to be involved financially or not, they need to be involved emotionally. Yeah, They yeah. absolutely have to. You have to share that burden across the entire family. There's no siblings. It's about sitting down with the mother and saying, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is how it's affecting me. I want to do as much as I can, but I need to be able to live my life. And you're entitled to live your life as well when you're supporting someone else. And I think that needs to be said to that person directly. And if you don't have a sibling to talk to about it, get a friend and sit down with them and say, look, this is what's happening. What do you think? That person's entitled to their own life. Mm -hmm. It's great that they're in a position that they can help their mother. I'm not going to say it's nothing to do with them. I'm not going to say it's not their responsibility, but they're not obliged to do it. Like the mother... You could just say, if you couldn't afford to do it, the mother would have to find another way is the way I would put it. Mm. Luckily enough, this person seems to be in the position where they can afford to do it. And they're doing a lot. Like, you know. We don't know how much the rent Mm. is. We do know the 500 quid. So they're doing a lot. And I just think the only way this guilt is going to go away is communication Mm. with siblings, with the mother and with a pal. It's it's a hard one to even know what to suggest to a person in that situation and what the right thing is to do. But um, I suppose you did make a very good point to that person. They are entitled to live their own life. Absolutely, 100%. I've sometimes got caught caught into situations like that are brought in, not caught in, that's the wrong word, brought into the situations like this where it can be easier if you have a financial planner or or an accountant or a solicitor where it's not necessarily a conversation just you and your mum sitting down. Absolutely, yeah. And that's a good point as well. There's a professional sitting there with you. It Mm. doesn't have to be a financial planner, just a professional that the mother is not going to go, why is this person here with us? Oh, they're helping me with my money or they helped us with dad's will or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And having someone, if if you find it hard to approach the subject directly, um, but you're much better having, having these involved. conversations yeah. now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Tough position, but hopefully that helps. Yeah. Have we got another one? Uh, yeah, we'll move on to question two, which we have a voice note for. Hi guys. So I have a personal savings and I save for Christmas and then I save with my uh, partner. We're saving to buy a house, but I find that when it comes to my personal savings, I don't know when to use it appropriately. And then when I do use it, I feel guilty for actually using it. I find like even going to use it to buy, you know, the car insurance for the year. I feel guilty for actually using it. I'm kind of like, oh, is this what it's actually supposed to be used for? Should it be something more important? And then I find then that I owe myself then. um, I feel like I'm adding more and more to my savings because, you know, to make up for using it. If you could give any advice on that, that would be great. Thank you. I think this is a very common, we've got a few questions in similar to this with the guilt of eating into mm. saving. So it's a very, very common thing that people are experiencing. Yeah. And that's like, if you think, of the, not necessarily the opposite, but one of the things that I will go on a lot about is um, I'm not a fan of having a rainy day fund. Yeah. Right. Because if you have a rainy day fund, you can convince yourself every day it's raining and I have to dip into my yeah. fund. Right. Yeah. Whereas if you can create an emotional attachment to your savings yeah. by naming it. Okay. And this mm-hmm. person seems to be doing it. They have Christmas, they've got this, they've the. And what's confused me about their question is, is if they've saved money for Christmas and it's called Christmas and they use it for Christmas, where's the guilt? Okay, why Mm -hmm. are they feeling it's the wrong thing to do? That was the purpose. And what I would suggest is going wrong here is 
if you think about it, we'd often have a couple would come to come in to me and they'd be, we'd be doing, building out a financial plan. You might have one person in the couple who is like, oh, let's just spend all our money. We could be dead tomorrow. Yeah. And the other person is like, oh, no, we need to worry about putting bread and milk on the table at 75 years of age. Let's yeah. not live today at all. Right? Mm-hmm. And they're the two extremes. But oftentimes you can get them both in a couple. And maybe that's why the couple works financially, right? Mm. Because you've got the two extremes. What a good financial plan does is it looks after the long-term financial future yeah. so that you can enjoy today guilt-free. Now, that's an extreme version of, I do think that person there could really benefit from knowing, you know what, I'm putting enough into my pension, I'm going to be grand later on. I've put enough into my medium term savings, I'm going to be grand later on. And here's the stuff that's going to come up in the next 12 months. I'm going to name it the way I do it. So I create an emotional attachment mm. to it. And when I spend it, that's what it was for. Yeah. Like I'm using the savings. This is me being financially structured and having an operational system that helps me to manage my money the best way I can possibly manage it. And what I think possibly is missing there is the longer term thinking. Because if they're worried, oh, I'm dipping into the Christmas fund for Christmas, right? Yeah. That shouldn't be a problem if everything else is sorted out. It's only a problem because they're going, oh, maybe I didn't need it for Christmas and I should have used it for something else. Does that yeah. make sense, Amanda? Yeah, I kind of got it from this that they were taking it out of all, all the one pot for some reason. Okay, but I didn't pick that up because she did say at one stage she was naming it. But okay, she, uh, okay, okay but, yeah. uh, but now let's assume that she isn't. She is has it all in the one pot, right? And she's saving yeah. it all in the one pot. She needs to separate it out then. Yeah. That's a really simple answer. That's Christmas, holidays in July, yeah. uh, back to school, um, weekend away with my partner. And she did say deposit for a house, right? So yeah. she, she needs she's, to separate it out and attach the names to it. Yeah. So we're not 100% sure and I'm sure we could listen back. There's no need. The message yeah. is the same. Mm. If it's all in one pot, your problem is simple. Separate it out, put the names on yeah. it. If it's already separated out, it's probably a longer term issue that needs to be addressed so that you can enjoy today guilt-free. Yeah. And then about having the separate buffer then as well. The I think buffer is the financial protection. Yeah. And people say, what's the difference between a buffer and a rainy day fund? There's a massive difference. Buffer is you reach for the buffer when you would would have reached for the credit card. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it's yeah. when life throws something at you, good mm. or bad, and you would have reached for the credit card, you reach for the buffer. And that's massively different than a rainy day fund. Yeah. Like coming in in the evening and saying, I've had a bad day, let's go for a pint, right? You might stick you could, that on, you yeah, might you stick that on the credit card. Day, yeah, 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 yeah. You might stick that on the credit card. You're not going to stick it on the buffer. Yeah. No, yeah. tough. That's our buffer. That's not a... It's such a good point on the it, rainy day because it's still so many people use that terminology yeah. about yeah. having a rainy day yeah. fund, but... Yeah, no, it's easier to eat into. If you really need a point, go for a pint, right? Sometimes you do. You really life, need that pint or you need that glass of wine. <laughs> life, life is about experiences, not things. And we got one more. Yes, we do. Now, sometimes we do cut back our questions that we get. They, they can have a lot of detail in them. But this particular question, I've decided not to cut back. So All right, it, okay. it's long, but there's a lot of detail in it. And I think it's important that we... Oh, this this off. sounds like it's going to be good because if you didn't if you didn't edit it down, it's going to be a good one. So it's long yeah. and it's detailed. It's detailed, yeah. And there's a glint in your eyes. There's a little bit of entertainment in it, Amanda. Is there? There, uh, there might be. There might be. Okay, right. Let's just go on a journey together. Let's listen to this long one. Yeah. Hi, Owen. I just saw the post about psychological attitude to money um, on Facebook. And that's funny because I was only saying to um, myself and to others that I think I'm obsessed that this, well, I'm, I'm reading your books too much, but I'm kind of obsessed with saving for the rainy day. And I'm kind of like, I'm afraid to spend it in, like, I think I'm too, I, I'm not tight, but I'm cautious. Like I'm always, I always run out of money. 
but I and I try not to dip into my savings. I know this is all what you say I should do, but I think I'm actually saving too much. And like, I'm always topping up my pension because Owen says to, and I'm like, all about the rainy day, rainy day, rainy day. And sometimes I think, you know, I need to live for the moment a bit more. Not like, it's like when I'm on a diet, it's all or nothing. I can seem to, I'd love to be a bit more middle way, like, because we've decided to get get some blinds for the house, grand. Um, and we have like, we have money in, in like, not easily access money. And my husband's like, sure, use that. And I was like, no, can't, I can't touch that money. Um, so I think I'm saving, I'm putting too much into the, the untouchable. And then I kind of have little pockets, I have little vaults, I have kind of little, you know, but I've, <laughs> I've cleared them out now just before Christmas. Um, but I know I'll build them up again, but I'm kind of afraid to spend money. Like, okay, I think this is a great example of me listening to you too much. <laughs> I saw your discount for uh, Prosperous and I really, I had it booked and I had it in, but I didn't have the cash coming up to Christmas at the time. I could have done it and I was about to put it on the credit card and I went, well, Owen will have a stroke if I tell him that I booked the appointment for the discount on my credit card. I mean, if that's not a definition of false economy. So you know what? I maybe I'll, I'll, I'll pocket it and I'll save up for your own. Um, but I think, sorry, I'm very long-winded. Um, put me on the two and a half speed or two speed. Um, my dad was always cautious. Um, again, not tight, but cautious. And he wanted to make sure that everything was okay for the rainy day. And to be fair, like he passed away a long time ago, but like my mother is so comfortable now. And that's all he wanted. And he saved, he had college funds for us. You know, like I'm 46 now and, you know, because he was uh, self-employed, well, he, he was taxed annually. So like he had to, they had to be clever with their money. And I kind of think it's been passed on. I can't cope with all people spending so much money now and like Christmas guy going, where are they getting all this money and why are they spending all this money? And that's, I'm kind of, I can spend money, but I'm afraid to. Um, I like my nice things. I'm probably not making any sense. Anyway, this is Anya in Cork. <laughs> that is deadly, isn't it? Great. <laughs> Hi, Anya. I feel like I know you. I know you well. Know. That's what it feels like. Yeah. I'm not sure where the question is, if I'm honest, right? And actually, my gut feel on that is, why isn't she here as a guest? She would have been deadly as a guest. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe <laughs> maybe that... that's... Anya, if you want to come on as a guest and you listen to this, we'll talk about anything because it seems like you can talk about everything. It's deadly. Can you unpack it, giving me a question out? Like, sorry, what I was getting out of that was, she seems to have a lot of things going on. She seems to be really trying to do everything right and overdo things to the point where she's... She's finding it hard to let go of the money when things come up then. But yet she said she wiped everything out coming up to Christmas. Yeah, I know. And, and she didn't have enough to cover the cost of the... But I, I think she still has the rainy day separate money. to that because what she's she was talking about her pockets and her vaults mm. separate thing and then I think the rainy day she's calling it a rainy day we're mm. we're going to change her terminology and call it a buffer mm. that's where I think she's she's struggling to dip into that money okay so it seems she has an emotional attachment to the money yeah it seems that she is very what she said I'm not what she said I'm not tight I'm very conscious but I always run out of money yeah. she said that she all in the same say, sentence yeah she right? did say that as well Yeah, and you're kind of going okay what it strikes me here is is she is trying too hard with too much stuff doing okay? too much yeah too she, she needs to just concentrate on one thing mm. at a time and she needs to go okay right I have my 
next, like it's a great time of year at this time of year. It doesn't matter what time of year you're listening to this, right? But particularly coming into a new year or even start of a new month, what have I got in the next 12 months? What mm-hmm. do I have to cover? Writing them down, get out. And there's nothing yeah. better, particularly for that person where she seems absolutely brilliant. And I, I, I love the mm-hmm. voice note, right? And I see now why you put it in in full. I love the voice note, but she seems to be a bit, I'm really sorry on you, but I can't think of another word off the cuff, a bit scatty in terms of where her brain is going, in terms of, oh, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this. And that's why we can't pull the question out of it. I think she could really benefit from a pen and paper. I'm yeah. not an Excel spreadsheet, a pen and paper mm. and write down, okay, what have I got coming out in the next 12 months? What big stuff would I like to do? What are the stuff that I have to do? What are the stuff that I'd like to do? Mm-hmm. And getting it put down on pen and paper so she can see clearly what her f- near-term financial future looks like. Yeah. And I think that's the first step for her. Mm-hmm. And I don't think until she's done that, we can unpack any of the rest of it. Yeah. Because yeah. what she sounds to me is, is she's struggling with a bit of a control thing. She's trying to control absolutely everything so she's controlling nothing and therefore she feels out of control. And the only way she's going to get the control back is with a pen and paper. Write down everything that you're going to spend money on in the next 12 months. And if 12 months is even too big of a task, think about the next month only. Get everything that you're going to spend between now and your next payday. Look at how much money you have available to you. Give every euro you have a job and then work through that. And if you can get it over the next 12 months, she seems to have a bit of structure on it. So I think she could extend it out for 12 months. But if you're doing this for the very first time, you're listening, you should just do it for the next month. How much money have I got now in my bank account? When is my next payday? And what jobs have I got to give all of that money? What's wants and what's needs? Back to basics in school. What do I want and what do I need? And make sure you cover all your needs before you start going after your wants between now and the next payday. And I think a bit of structure for her would make a massive difference. I think a pen and paper is her friend. And I also think she's going to become a friend of the show. I think we might come back to her and have her on. Anya, if you're listening to this, you can come back on and talk about anything. Yeah. I think like, whatever you want to talk about, provided somewhat money related. But I do, I understand. <laughs> and you know what? It's very, very typical of what's going on in people's minds out there yeah. in terms of how they think about their money. Anya, if you're listening to me, you need to just concentrate it back just to one thing. And would you have given out to her for booking the prosperous appointment on the credit card? Absolutely, yeah. 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 I would have, yeah. No, totally. <laughs> so, so you made the right decision No, there, she made the right yeah. decision. No, yeah. you, need, no yeah. you don't. Like even, she mentioned the, Just the to discount. Just give her some... Yeah. Yeah. And we don't run discounts that often and there was a specific no. reason we ran that discount. But what was it, a 20% discount, was it? Yeah. 20% discount. Her credit card's probably charging her 22%. Like, yeah. like yeah. it doesn't make... And sorry... No, is the answer. You don't book in to do anything like something with Prosperous or any other company that's a want yeah. in the short term. It's a need in the long term, but it's mm-hmm. a want in the short term. She needs to do it the way she's doing it and build up the savings and it not affecting the rest of her structure because Absolutely. she paid for it. Yeah. Is that it for this week? That's all our questions for How's this it week. going? Because we've been asking listeners all the time to send voice notes to the WhatsApp. Yeah. Are they being good? Yeah, so we are, we're getting a lot of questions. Uh, Great. And I would like to say, I do listen to every single question that comes in. I don't get a chance to reply to everybody and apologies for anyone that we don't actually get to reply to. But what we do try and do is pick out the questions most similar that will, mm. I suppose, that are coming up the most often. And you have banked some questions in terms of you put some to yes, some side that we I've might come some, back to in the future. And put some to, to the side as well with guests as well. Some people have suggested coming on for different topics. Mm. Okay. You're on a list and it's just when something comes up that's relevant, we can yeah. reach out to you then. Yeah, so what you want here, I'll get you to call out the WhatsApp number in a minute. But if you've got a question for the for the podcast yeah. that you want to ask, just like Anya did there, if you've got a suggestion for a guest that we might bring on or if you wanted to come on as a guest, just send us a quick note. Give us your question, give us your suggestion or tell us what you'd talk about if you came on the podcast with us. What's the number they need to send a WhatsApp to? So the number is 087 
0872910507. That's 0872910507. Amanda, thank you very much as usual. Thank you. This is, I feel like I say this every episode now at this stage. There's so much involved in this area. In, in the area of emotion and our relationship with money. Maybe this huge amount involved in it because I love it. I enjoy it. I love learning the trends and the relationships and the connections between what we do and why we do them. Richard fascinates me with the knowledge around how it impacted us as a child and that's still carrying true for us today. There's a whole pile of other simple things and once you become aware of them, you can actually start to take control of them. There's a whole area and we're going to cover it on heuristics. And heuristics, basically what they are is the shortcuts our brain takes. So if you think about it, you're walking down the street at nighttime, it's dark, and you look up and there's someone with their hood up in front of you and they're walking towards you and something just doesn't feel right and you cross the road. That's a heuristic. It wasn't that you actually thought it through. You just kind of, okay, this feels like the right thing to do and I'm going to do it. That's a simple example of it. But heuristics exist in everything. One that we often have is the confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is where you make a decision and then the world throws opportunities at you to confirm that it was the right decision to make. When it comes to money, this is one that we always get caught up in. For example, I own shares in the company I work for because I get given them each year. I buy them each year. And you believe in the share. You need to believe in the share. But the amount of opportunity you have during your working day to confirm that believing in the share is the right thing to do. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with anyone's share price. I'm not talking about I'm talking about the confirmation bias that we get. That when we make a decision, the world will give us opportunity to confirm to ourselves that that decision was the right decision to make. And when we're looking at that when it comes to our finances, we have to be careful about the heuristics that exist. Confirmation bias is one. No, I was dead right to take that car loan because I love my car. That's a confirmation bias. Anchor bias is another one. Anchor bias is where we see something and it costs, I don't know, you see a sticker on it and it costs 200 euros. And then you're kind of standing there and you're looking and going, oh, will I buy it? Well, I won't buy it. And then the next minute, the salesperson, and that's what they are, a salesperson comes over and says, oh, are you interested in that? Yeah, I'm kind of thinking of it. Actually, that's mispriced and I can sell it to you for 149 euros. All of a sudden, your anchor was 200 quid and it's down at 150. That's a bargain. And it will actually, unless you're aware of it, will persuade you to buy it, even if the thing was only worth 100 quid in the first place. Be careful of some of these biases that exist in our day-to-day life. As I said at the very start of this, be aware, be conscious of why you are doing things. Not about how, but why am I making this decision? You have opportunity all the time. You're in the supermarket. There's two products. One's made by one company. One's made by the other company. This one's much more expensive. Why am I buying that one? What is it that's driving me to buy that? I'm not asking you to be miserable. I'm asking you to enjoy questioning it questioning the decisions you make and try and find the root cause as to why you make a decision. Why am I so attached to my savings? Because it was bloody hard to save it. But I was saving it for this purpose and now the purpose has has arisen I'm going to use the money for the savings. I should be rewarding myself. This is what the reward, this is what the goal was so I need to just go with it. Question everything you do with your finances. We talked a couple of episodes about the difference between conscious and subconscious spending, about spending on money on things that add values to your life versus things that don't add value to your life. Ultimately, this is the next level of that. 
when you start to analyse and understand your relationship with money, it allows you to make much better decisions when it comes to your money. It also allows you to highlight the bad decisions you're making. Like, I don't want to touch my savings because I have an emotional attachment to my savings. I'm getting paid 2% on it over here and I'm paying 20% on a credit card over here. That's a silly financial decision to make. And what you have to recognize there is, is your emotional decision to set, keep your savings intact is actually costing you money because you're paying 10 times as much on the credit card bill than you should be. Every financial decision you make is rooted in some type of emotional connection that you've had and you need to question it. We are going to come back to this topic. This topic is something that I believe is where we can bring all of us to a different level when it comes to our money. I hope you got something in the introduction to the relationship with money from the episode today. I hope you enjoyed Richard. We really appreciate your questions coming in. But by far, this is the one that I'm most excited about revisiting. Thanks for listening. This is Understanding Money. I am Owen McGee. Keep listening. Hit that follow button. If you want the longer interviews, head over to YouTube.